Well, hi folks, Simon Dowling here, and welcome to episode seven of Teaming with Possibility. This is the podcast where we explore what it takes to harness people's collective genius, underpinning their ability to do great work together and to have a great time doing it. And in today's episode, I want to explore a really interesting question, particularly for a podcast titled Teaming with Possibility, and that is, when actually is the best kind of teamwork to not team? When does it actually make sense to avoid teaming altogether? I mean, there's an old saying, you've probably heard it, it's a cliche really, which is teamwork makes the dream work. But sometimes perhaps teamwork is the stuff of nightmares. And the thing I'm thinking of here in particular is when teaming actually leads to over collaboration. We have this phenomenon where a lot of people would report that I spend way too much time in collaborative activities. So there was some interesting research done a number of years ago where um, which showed that on average, the average worker in your average organization spent over 85% of their time of their working day in collaborative activities, whether that is in meetings, workshops, project sessions, so live collaboration face-to-face or virtually, uh, or whether it is collaboration through responding to emails and engaging in correspondence, maybe it's Slack channels, or even if it's the collaborative endeavors of you know going out and meeting clients together or customers or um, catching up in the tea room in the corridor. And that number only went up in the context of the pandemic where so many of us were working home and became dependent on our ability to use uh, video calls and similar kind of technologies. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that's a pretty high number. If you work it out and calculate out the hours in your day and then remove from that also your time to, you know, perform basic biological functions and your commute, if you commute, that doesn't leave a lot of time to do the work that requires some personal focus and some personal productivity. And as that time diminishes, what again we see a lot happening in organizations, there's plenty of research that bears this out, is that it has a cost. It has a very real human impact. So aside from the diminished ability to be personally productive, which therefore impacts productivity, that in turn means that the work that I can get done often needs to be done outside healthy working hours, uh, which means then the work that I do pay attention to tends to be just ticket off a list in terms of its energy rather than creative, innovative thinking, the heavy lifting that requires me to really immerse myself in a piece of work. But the other thing that we also see, and perhaps you've experienced this, is that people just feel stressed. There's this heightened anxiety about the fact that I have that work that I need to get to once I have done with all these meetings and conversations. But on top of that, there is a a kind of a residual stress and anxiety of every time an email comes in or a message comes in or any kind of calendar invitation comes in, I have this anxiety around how do I handle this? I don't want to say yes to it, but I feel I I kind of have to. Um, My instinct is telling me I would like to be able to say I've, I've got too much on, I can't, but 
I either don't know how to say that or I don't feel really it's my place to. And so as a result of this, I'm constantly dealing with this this load of like, how do I handle the workload? It might even bear into that moment of people just going, you know, please leave me alone. Uh, Just wanting to retreat, go off the grid. I don't know about you, but there's something magical and I haven't done it much of late. But, you know, when you go onto an aeroplane that doesn't have Wi-Fi, damn you aeroplanes for introducing in-flight Wi-Fi, which doesn't have Wi-Fi, the doors shut, you feel that seal and you go, right, I can just focus on my own stuff uninterrupted for the duration of this flight. Well, that's if you don't include all the interruptions of the pilot's announcements, the uh, service in the cabin, etc., etc. But we'll put that aside. So in other words, this kind of cost of collaboration is a very real problem in organizations. And I think it is critical for any team, any leader, any organization, any workplace to be thinking very carefully about how do we help people to make the best possible use of their time. And that's not simply a function of, as we might have once done, inviting people to you know strengthen their time management skills or their prioritization skills. In the context of the modern workplace, it really does require people to have the ability to deal with this rising tide of collaboration, which isn't just people wanting to be able to collaborate more. I mean, as we remove um, hierarchical kind of vertical management structures and flatten things out, that does create this this, um, natural tidal wave of people collaborating on things when they might once upon a time have just been told to do it, and then they would take their take their marching orders. So there's that. But on top of that, we've got this proliferation of technology, which allows us to collaborate oh so easily. Like I can invite you to a meeting without having to pick up the phone or do anything other than just put it in my diary and add your name to the invitation. I can set up a a collaborative working project on a Trello board or something similar to that, tag you on it, attach due dates on it, and suddenly you and I are working together and you may not really have ever chosen consciously to prioritize that in your working week. So technology has made this just a little too easy. It's removed the uphill effort required in order to launch collaborative activities. So we've kind of got this culmination of many things going on. The, the, you know, the way we think about getting things done is much more collaborative, cross-functional. Then we've made it incredibly easy to just initiate that kind of thing. And then on top of that, we've got this perhaps snowball effect or trickle effect out of the pandemic, which is where so many of us got caught in a situation, I know I did, of sitting in a space and therefore all of my contact with the human world comes through my screen. And so we spent just... It was way too easy to just go from one Zoom meeting to the next without cause for pause. So here's the question, I guess. What are we, how do we recognize this in our own organizations and what, what can we do about it? Um, I think in some respects, it's, it's incredibly important to make a distinction when we talk about collaboration to understand that there is a difference between um, productive efficient collaboration and collaboration as an activity. We are not, certainly in the work I do, I'm not interested in collaboration for collaboration's sake. There are, there are plenty of organizations, in fact, that might have made this mistake. Perhaps you've done it of, of using expressions like teamwork makes the dream work or espousing collaboration and teamwork as one of its core values. And so therefore, the kind of expectation becomes that we should collaborate on everything. 
And if you don't, you're not a team player. If you don't, you are not playing to the values of our organization. I don't know that that's particularly healthy. The metaphor I sometimes like to use in this topic is um, is ice cream. Like I love ice cream. Um, but I also know when I walk into an ice cream shop, I'm not having all the ice cream. And I don't for a minute think that by saying I'll only have one flavor, one scoop of one flavor, that I'm sending anyone a message that I'm really not that into ice cream. I just know that if I eat too much, it'll make me sick (laughs) and uh, I won't fit into my jeans come the end of the week. So I know I've got to be choosy. It's built into the system. Why can we not think the same way when we think of collaboration? We've got to get choosy. But again, organizations, teams, leaders often send a mixed message around this. The expectation of you being a team player might might kind of undermine that also reminder that you've got to be selective and you've got to prioritize and we've got to use time really carefully because time is a finite resource for each of us. So how does this play out? I think as a starting piece, you might even sit here now, you know, picture yourself a spectrum. At one end of the spectrum, you've got... Uh, when we collaborate too much on the other end of the spectrum where we don't collaborate enough and the other is where we get the balance about right or when and maybe even for yourself spend a few moments thinking what are the different examples situations instances where you find yourself at different places on that spectrum track it in your own world is it feast or famine you go from under collaboration to over collaboration or do you feel like you get the balance about right as a constant but by thinking of some of those examples and scenarios and situations i think that creates an invitation now to ask yourself so what are the, what are the what are the behaviors what are the actions what are the things that we do that actually represent and contribute to over collaboration that feed into the problem. And then once we've identified those, what are the beliefs that sit behind those? Because fundamentally, it is those beliefs that are going to be the source of the problem here. So for me, the behaviors and the actions, they're easy to spot if I think about it for a moment. When I'm over-collaborating, it's usually because I am uh, responding to every request responding to every meeting invitation with a yes. So I'm saying yes to stuff when I, when I wish I was saying no. Uh, or I'm walking into meetings and conversations that have large chunks of time. Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's more. Large chunks of time allocated to it without real clarity in my own head around why I need to be in that meeting or why it even needed to be a live in person or you know live real time meeting in the first place, um, or maybe failing to really understand what the outcome of this meeting is supposed to be, and therefore how I can best contribute to it or prepare for it, and I catch myself in some of those moments. Uh, or the other activity might be where I find myself living in my inbox, where I could spend hours just really busy responding to people's emails and engaging in a back and forth tennis match. In fact, so much so that by the time I've got to the, you know, an, an email two or three lines later, 
the response I just gave has got a response back again. And so it's like this tennis match that's just picking up pace. And it's that pace of the way we work that can really create that. Well, it creates a momentum that can create this sense of like, okay, I can almost predict it now. In 24 hours, 48 hours, a week, two weeks, I'm going to be overcommitted and overloaded and not be able to cope with this kind of avalanche of conversation, communication, ideas that I am now myself drumming up. So I can see that happening and they're the moments that I pinpoint and go, why do I do that? And that's where we go to the beliefs. So the beliefs question starts to go, well, what's going on there? Is it for me just, um, you know, one personal one for me is that my almost ingrained measure of success is that my success is dependent on how quickly I can respond to people and just how many balls I can juggle at once. And I feel like, oh, if I can do lots at once and respond quickly, I'm like <laughs> John Wayne firing off the baddies and blowing the smoke off the tip of my gun. I don't know if that's a, a, a pleasant metaphor, but you get the drift, right? It's like, wow, I'm such a superhero. Which is, of course, crazy, right? But at some point along the way, I've developed this mental model of that's what success comes from. Or maybe, in fact, it's a similar one, which is when you've got your own business, as I do, success comes from just taking on as many opportunities as you can, saying yes to them and getting them done, which maybe is true at a certain point. I don't know, maybe it's true at a certain point in your business, but certainly not when you've been operating and built some momentum and scale around it. Suddenly, again, that's more like the point in the ice cream shop. You've got to get choosy. Uh, So we could have a few different beliefs that underpin this. Is it that uh, if I say no to something that people will think I'm a incompetent or bad person, uh, that I am uh, being rude, uh, that I'm leaving them in a really tough situation and they'll suffer because of it. You know, what are those stories I tell myself? Because I reckon in our own context, whether that's in a working team or an organization, or perhaps you're in a role where you are consulting to a group, Our ability to kind of understand and maybe reflect on some of those beliefs is where the change has to begin from. Um, So I think this starting point feeds into our ability to say no rather than yes to the invitation to collaborate and to know how to do that well and how to do it artfully. I actually reckon that's a, a, a super important conversation any team to have is how do we how do we decide when we should collaborate and how do we decide how to manage our collective time here because there's going to be times where I'll invite people to join me for a meeting without actually I don't know what's going on in your world at the moment so when is it okay to say no I can't make it to that meeting and what do we what do we expect of each other if it's not saying no What's a better way to go about this? Is it saying, what do you need from me in this meeting? I'm really under a lot of time pressure to finish A, B, and C. Is there a way I could contribute to that meeting without coming for the full hour? In a way that gives you what you need. Or maybe it is asking the question, um, uh, 
it's simply asking the question, I've got these three or four priorities on my plate right now. Can you just, I'm going to need a bit of help understanding how to prioritize this meeting relative to those other things, those other balls that are in the air right now, because I don't know I'm going to be able to do them all. So if you're not sure of how to make some of those prioritization decisions, that's a really important question to ask and totally legitimate. So can we as a team make sure we are giving people permission and the confidence to do that? Maybe it's a conversation around our individual workloads and workflows are your individual responsibility to manage. That doesn't mean I don't share any responsibility for helping you to do that. Of course I do. But don't just sit there and assume that everything that comes your way just has to add to your list. That's that's not that's not being a hero. That's not being effective. That's making some poor decisions about how to best use your time. Is it about being super clear with people about the expectation that you should be carving out the important chunks of time in your diary first to make sure you've got time allocated to do the work that really matters so you don't get all that time sucked away by collaborative endeavors? Because what we don't want is a bunch of people that are sitting around feeling exhausted, tired, stressed, and ratty about the fact that they haven't said no to things or they have engaged in too much collaboration time and now they've got this list of stuff to do that they can't finish. And we've all felt that before. We don't want to end up in that place, which then just starts to fold into people's well-being, their levels of engagement and motivation to do their work. There are a whole bunch of factors that we're managing here when we try to team. So there was an, an article published a few years back in the Washington Street Journal called You Could Be, I've got it on the screen in front of me, You Could Be Too Much of a Team Player. And I love that idea, that we are actually deliberately challenging the idea that being a team player does not necessarily mean you are always teaming. It was like in my, um, my, my days improvising, one of the ideas that I loved in the world of improvised theatre, which you're always doing as a team, as an ensemble, as a group, is the importance of learning that sometimes being a great ensemble member, being a great member of the cast of an improv show, might actually be best served by you choosing not to come onto the stage, to stay off to the side. There was a term given to that, it was deployment, that you've got to be very deliberate about how you deploy yourself in the context of a scene or in a show. And if that means stay off, and watch, then that's a choice. And maybe it's the best choice. Same here in the context of teaming. Knowing when and how to deploy your collaborative energy is a really kind of useful thing to do. So here's three very concrete things maybe to play with and to think about. How do you manage your collaborative overload risk personally and as a team? Here's here's three things to try. So the first of which is, Before you dive in and say yes to any invitation to collaborate, whether it's on a project, in a meeting, to go out and visiting a customer, to have a conversation about something, someone brings a problem to you and says, here's the situation, I'd love to pick your brains. One of the questions to ask upfront early on is what is or how do we best use our time together? How do we best use our time together? Which might lead to, what do we want by the end of this conversation? Um, Or 
what do you want from me in this conversation? But effectively what you're doing is going up to the balcony, looking down on the moment and going, okay, how do we arrange this so it's most effective? Because that might in turn lead you to then realize there's ways I can contribute to to this without spending the full hour that you've got allocated with you to do that. I love that that kind of conscious question. Um, it might even be to say, well, actually, if here's the problem that you've got and the challenge that you want to work through, how can we best our use, use our time together? Well, rather than kind of trying to solve it together, why don't I give you some, let's spend just 10 minutes, me giving you a few tips around things to look for, places you could look to in terms of getting precedence on this. Then you go away and work it out. And then come back to me once you've worked up a draft. That could be a much better use of our time together than trying to work it through um, for the full time. So that's your first question. The second way, which I've touched on earlier, is learning to say no. So finding the language that we can be using as a team in order to say no to requests. Is it, I can't get to that today or I can't come to that meeting this week because I have these priorities or these these you know constraints. However, I'd love to be able to help. What are some other ways I might be able to help? Or um, I'm not able to help you with this one at the moment. I've got an absolutely full capacity, but what I want to do is introduce you to someone who can. Or... I don't feel I can say yes right now simply because of conflicting priorities, but what I'd love to do is sit down and just check with you, have I got those priorities right? So finding ways to... um, uh, Bill Urey, who was one of the co-authors of uh, the classic negotiation book, Getting to Yes, he wrote a book subsequently called The Power of a Positive No. And um, I loved that title. I remember reading the book and there's some, some sort of useful tips in it. But basically the idea being that saying no is actually more about saying, I can't say yes to what you're asking me right now, but let me try and understand what's important to you and what you need. And then let me find a way to say yes to that, a way to help you with that. What a, what a nice way of thinking about what really you're saying when you say no. I think the other part of that is to remember when you say yes to someone, who are you in fact in fact, effectively saying no to at the same time? So when I say yes to you in terms of a request to work together on something, I'm in fact saying no now to Charlie over there that I'll be able to get this to, to him at the time I'd already promised. Or no to the fact that this, I'm, I'm saying, when I originally said yes to you, this was going to be a more comprehensive piece of work. It's now going to be rushed. Um, I'm obviously not saying that explicitly, but by saying yes to you, am I in fact making those competing commitments back to others? Hmm. That's something to think about. So a couple of useful frames there around the idea of saying no. So that's the second thing. The first one was start off by asking what, how do you and I best use our time together? How can I best contribute here? So that's the first piece. The second is finding your different ways, your different language for saying no. And I'd love to hear from you. What, what, you know, what are your favorite ways of saying no? You can send those to me um, at podcast at simondowling.com.au. And then the third one is, and this loops back to 
an idea I was sharing earlier, is to really, as a team, just sit down and ask and maybe draw that spectrum of over-collaboration to under-collaboration and say, when and how do we feel we're sitting on this spectrum? And how do we get the balance right? Because this is not a simple, you know, single bullet type solution. This is about collectively managing the tension of we are going to, at different points in time, demand more or less of each other's time, each other's energy, each other's resources. So let's just share an awareness of that and let's talk about what are some of the ways we can best do that. Um, I helped one team have a conversation about that only recently and the stuff they came up with, with was super practical and super useful. Stuff like when you are sending out a meeting invitation, be super clear about what the purpose of it is, what they need from it by the end and why that particular person has been invited. So why we're having it, what we want from it, and why I'm inviting you. And that equips the other person to make a kind of more informed decision about, okay, does that make sense? Um, Or now that I understand what you are looking for from me, am I in fact the only person who can give you that? If you're looking for a kind of a lens through the, uh, sorry, an opinion through the lens of the customer's experience on product X. In fact, is there someone else in my team who could equally come and provide that, if not, as well as maybe better than me. So I can make some informed decisions about the deployment question, like an improviser. So there we go, there's a few thoughts, but how do you go with this challenge? Over collaboration, is it a thing? Um, Professor Rob Cross, who's based over in the US, is a sort of a prominent researcher on this topic, has written a few Harvard Business Review articles on this topic and also has a book called Beyond Collaborative Overload. And I love this idea that, you know, collaborative overload, the term of it, is a nice way to acknowledge that this is a very real thing that comes at a cost for organisations, both in terms of its impact on the human and its impact on productivity and innovation as well. How does it play out for you? Or perhaps you're sitting in the reverse going, no, no, we we suffer from under-collaboration. People sitting in their cones of silence refusing to come out. In which case, you've got a whole different... Maybe I'll talk about that in a different episode. I would love to hear from you. I hope this um, gives you a few things to think about. Uh, I shall see you next time. In the meantime, reach out. Any ideas, questions, thoughts, things you want to uh, request for future episodes, hit me up at podcast at simondowling.com.au. As always, this podcast is going live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and on YouTube, seeing it in video format. I shall see you next time. Bye for now.